Well, yesterday uh, we saw uh, the end of an era as Dave Warner stepped off uh, the SCG for the last time as a batsman for Australia in Test cricket. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you were watching, but uh, as he walked off, he uh, walked off to the adulation of, of uh, the SCG crowd. Uh, a, a kind of glorious moment to the end of what at times has been an inglorious career. Very different to uh, the ends of some of my childhood heroes, say Steve Waugh in 2003 at the SCG, who no doubt you remember like it was yesterday, uh, scored 100 on the last ball of day three and uh, the, the, the place was packed and everyone cheered and it was fantastic. What glory uh, for a glorious uh, career. Uh, not to mention Steve, uh, not to mention Shane Warne or Glenn McGrath or Justin Langer in 07 when they retired also at the SCG uh, to the glory of the crowds. When we are successful and uh, reach the pinnacle, we get glory, don't we? People applaud us and they, uh, they honour us for the things that we've done. Uh, part of, I think, what comes to these greats of the game of cricket is a glory because we know there's just no way that you or I could do the things that they do, could bat the way that they bat or bowl the way that they bowl. Glory and the desire for it is kind of baked into us, I think. Glory being that desire for great admiration, honour and praise that you seem to earn by doing something well or successfully, as I've illustrated with uh, these cricket players who we can idolise at times. I wonder where glory sits rightly in the life of a Christian. Because when it comes to living life as a Christian, when you're trying to be holy in a world set against holiness and if you're successful even somewhat at that do you deserve glory and praise you, you, you by the world standards perhaps you do but of course what we're reminded uh, as Paul opens this letter to the Ephesians is that all the glory goes to God for it is God who enables our faithfulness it's Therefore, God, whom our focus and attention must turn to and we must reflect glory to as we seek to live out our faith here in this world. All glory goes to God. And we'll come back and think a little bit more about that as we dive into this sort of opening prayer of praise that Paul prays in this letter to the Ephesians. But we are going to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians over the next uh, month or two. And so uh, I want us to get our heads around this book. It's obviously written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Uh, we see that in verse 1. And it's written who to? God's holy people, literally the saints. It's written to the Christians who live in Ephesus. Uh, not, not the special three saints, God, but all God's holy people in Ephesus. Now, I wonder what it was like to live in Ephesus. Has anyone been to Ephesus? I always like to, there we go, uh, three or four of us. So um, you can go ask uh, those guys uh, uh, what it's like now. But I'm pretty sure it's just a pile of, of rubble. I mean, it's, no, there's, there's, 
I mean, there's big things that... Well, yeah, but it's not functioning. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's in ruins, though. The city is in ruins, though they're very good quality ruins. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the city that Paul writes to, no longer a living city, but nonetheless you can still go and see the places that Paul talks about and the, and the things that he did. And Paul spent a long time uh, in Ephesus. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia and it was a busy commercial port. And being the kind of secular and pagan world that the first century was, it was also headquarters of uh, a goddess, uh, a goddess called Dinah or Artemis. And her temple that was there, is that the one that's still, is that the one that's still standing? Is that what you're telling me? Artemis's temple? No. Other things, though. Anyway, Artemis's temple was one of the seven natural, uh, seven uh, wonders of the world uh, in the first century. So it was a significant place uh, with significant impact in the world at the time. And Paul, uh, who went there on one of his missionary journeys and who preached the gospel there, had an impact in this place. We read about it in Acts chapter 19. Let me start, let me just read that to you. Uh, Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way, that is, about the Christians. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, bought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar, and the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defence for the people. But when they realised he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's a long time to shout the same thing over and over again. The city clerk eventually quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges 
And if there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what is happening today. And in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And as he said this, he dismissed the assembly. It's a, 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 a place, Ephesus, not too dissimilar from our own uh, uh, life today. We, you've often heard of the great crusades of Billy Graham where uh, people come to Christ and all of a sudden the publicans uh, can't afford to keep their pubs open anymore because nobody's drinking as much. Uh, when the gospel is proclaimed and people start uh, putting their faith in it, it can disrupt some of the, uh, uh, the businesses of the day as it did in Ephesus time. And people don't like losing money. Uh, and uh, even if they don't have a reason to be upset, it's just the, the workings of commerce, uh, capitalism at its best in the first century, uh, uh, people see uh, that when, they, when, when there's a, a chance to get angry about something, they go and have a good old riot. I mean, it's, <coughs> it's really not that dissimilar from the kind of things we see happening today. People not knowing really why they're there, people getting upset about something for some reason uh, and failing to follow the rule of law and failing to um, uh, keep things in check. There's a lot of similarities as the gospel comes into this godless place and shakes things up a bit. What is the big idea of this book of Ephesians? Well, the great English pastor uh, John Stott uh, says that here we have in the book of Ephesians uh, a letter which focuses on what God did through the historical work of Jesus and what he continues to do through his spirit today in order to build his new society, that is the church, in the midst of the old, that is the world. And if I was to uh, summarise Ephesians, I would say we, that the idea is that as Christians we have been raised with Christ to live a resurrection life for God's glory. What God, what God has done for us through Christ and what we must do in return as a result of what he has done for us, for his glory, not for our own. And this kind of circles us back to what I was talking about at the start, about this, the hunt for glory that many of us are on. We live in a world where people are looking for personal glory. And perhaps some uh, achieve it uh, in, the, in the stands of the SCG, though by 35, uh, it's all over and the, their glory days are behind them. I wonder what they do for the next 60. But do you know what's interesting in our world today? People are, uh, are on the look for glory all the time. I was reading an article recently that said this. For Generation Z... One industry reigns supreme. This is like, what do they want to do for a job? Influencing on social media. According to a recent report by decision intelligent company, Morning Consult, which surveyed over 2,000 adults in the US, 57% of Gen Zs said they'd be an influencer if they had the opportunity. And lest, lest you think this is a pile on Gen Z, compared to 41% of adults from all age groups. So like, they're not doing that much worse than the rest of us, really, are they? 
But over half of uh, young people, as they look forward today, look look forward to the future today, think, you know what? If I could, I'd be an influencer. Now, I assume you know what influencer is, but just in case you don't, they're the people who go on the internet and become famous because they're good at camera work, basically, I think, as far as... They may have something useful to say as well, or they might be extremely attractive, or... Um, there's some other skill that they, they have uh, and they go viral on all the different social media platforms and somehow they make money out of it and become uh, famous. It's all for glory, isn't it? It's a great way to feel like you're important, to get a click. I mean, even as uh, people who aren't influencers, I'm sure we all like the, the, the click every time we post a photo to our own uh, social medias. Uh, when even a friend just likes it, we think, oh, I feel a little bit happy and validated. Well, imagine thousands upon thousands if you're an influencer. No wonder people want to chase after a career like that. But self-glorification is not the answer to living a good life, even though over half of us think that the best way to get there is to become an influencer and to live a full and happy life. I think there's a few reasons why. One being that every, I'm pretty sure every influencer out there is, is living a double life because there's their real life and then there's their life that they put on the internet. And that, of course, is going to have an effect on your soul. But, of course, the other is we're, just, we're not created for that. We're actually created for someone else's glory, for someone else's fame, for someone else's name. The answer to the desire each of us has for glory is not to find it on the internet as an influencer, but in fact to become new in Christ, to die to self and to live for him our new resurrection lives. And this is what Ephesians is about. It's about helping us to do that. And let me just uh, take you into the reading we have today and show you uh, how it opens up for us uh, this new identity that we have in Christ, which is for God's glory. Paul opens with praise in the prayer, giving thanks to God uh, for the way that he has blessed his people. He's praising God for this gift of new life in Christ. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on, I guess, to list some of these blessings. To be chosen, chosen to be holy and blameless, verse 4. Predestined to be his children in verses 5 and 6. Redeemed uh, and forgiven through the blood of Jesus in verses 7 and 8. And knowing God's will, verses 9 and 10, his will that one day all things will be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that's quite the identity, isn't it? To be chosen by God. To be called his child. To be redeemed and forgiven. To know his will. Wow. If that was your identity, you might think you've got something to be proud of. You might think, well, that sounds quite good. I might go stand in the SCG and get the world to cheer for me. But no, 
This is an identity not earned by us, but given freely to us by God, and so it is for his glory. It is for his glory that he changes us in Christ. Now, this new identity we have in Christ is good news, isn't it? It's a wonderful identity, but it's also an identity that answers many of our world's itches. Because people, I think, are having identity crises left, right and centre today. People want to know who they are. They want to know that they're okay. They want to know that they're accepted and loved. You can't even start in the world today with the bedrock foundation of um, uh, what gender you are, let alone what kind of person you might want to become. People are crying out for someone to say that they are okay, that they are loved, that they are accepted. I think that's the drive to influencing because maybe the cliques will tell me that I'm a good person, that I'm okay, that what I'm doing is right. That's why we want glory, I think, because we want people to tell us you're doing a good job. But the beautiful thing about our faith is it gives you a new identity and it gives you the answer to all your heart's longings. Are you accepted? Yes, in Christ you are. Are you loved? Yes, in Christ you are. Are you valued? Yes, in Christ you are. Why? Because of what he's done for us on the cross. We are chosen, called, predestined by God to be holy, blameless and forgiven children in spite of our brokenness and our sin. It's a wonderful gift. And I wonder if you believe it's true of you. Because Paul tells us, doesn't he, this is the gift that he has given, God has given us in Christ. Maybe you think it sounds too good to be true. Or maybe you wish it were true, but you don't know how it could possibly be true for you. After all, you've done too many things of which nobody ought to be proud of. You've spent too long being told you're not worth it, getting no clicks, thinking you're too bad, too rotten, and you've made too many mistakes. But the good news of the gospel is the identity Christ gives us is given freely, grace, graciously, mercifully, through faith in Jesus Christ. You get a new identity in him because of who God is, not because of who you are. Look at verse 13. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you hear the good news about Jesus, that Jesus has entered the world as we've just celebrated at Christmas. When you hear that good news that he grew up, that he lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins, that he rose again victorious and that he's ascended to the right hand of heaven and is now ruling and reigning uh, and that if we trust in him we get a new identity in him and our sins are forgiven and we're made new and we get the Holy Spirit who, as Paul goes on, says is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing that we're going to get there until God returns, until Christ returns. 
This is wonderful news. It's news for you, for me, for everyone. It's good news. It's the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, you are given this brand new identity in Christ that Paul praises God for in this opening section. All of what God has done for us in Christ is done for us, not so that we look good, not so that we can run off and uh, build a pretty solid YouTube channel uh, called Child of God, uh, the best ever, but given to us so that we can give glory to God. Throughout this prayer, Paul keeps talking about how this wonderful thing God has done for us is not for our glory, but for God's. Have a look. Verse 3, praise be to God. That's like glory to God. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. God saves you, restores you, makes you holy, enables you to live as his child. Why? Not so that you can live a wonderful life of self-actualization here and now, not because you're the most important person in all the world and God just couldn't wait to hang out with you, not so that you can become an influencer on the internet. He does it for his glory. He saves us. He gives us this new identity so that we will look around at each other fellow believers who have been saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and say, wow, look what God has done for us. Let's give all praise, glory and honour to him. We are raised with Christ to live a resurrection life for God's glory. Perhaps you could make that little statement uh, uh, a bit of a mantra for yourself uh, this week or this year. You've been raised with Christ to live a resurrection life for God's glory. And I wonder if you uh, thought about that as you've reflected on the words of Ephesians, as you gave God glory for this new identity he's given you in Christ, I wonder what God's spirit might do day by day in helping you to live out your identity in him, not for your sake, not for your glory, but for the praise of his glory. Amen. Mm -hmm.